Hi everybody, this is Ben and this is Ben's Week in Medical School, sharing knowledge about the human body and glimpses into life in medical school. This podcast is for your entertainment and education. I do my best to present accurate information, but this podcast is not professional medical advice. The podcast is a personal project and does not represent the views of my medical school. Welcome back. This is episode 35 and it's the end of week 39 of medical school. I had a midweek episode this week and I felt like publishing just one more before I really buckle down and start studying. I have a lot of material to review for my next exam covering neuroscience this Friday. I want to talk about EEGs and a tiny bit about brain tumors and some extracurricular updates. Let's get started. So EEG stands for electroencephalogram, probably less familiar with that than the um, the version for the heart, which is called an ECG or EKG electrocardiogram, but it's a very similar sort of technology. It involves measuring um, electrical charge differences between different points on the body. Um, this is how it works. Cells in the brain are always working to maintain a tiny little charge, sort of like the static charge that you get by shuffling your feet on the carpet and then zap like touching a doorknob. Neurons don't have feet and move like that, but it's essentially what they do. It takes about two milliseconds for a neuron to shuffle its metaphorical feet and build up a little static burst. That is two thousandths of a second. So potentially a neuron, each individual brain cell could fire maybe 500 times per second. Neurons don't all fire at once, though. They wait for a neuron behind them to send them a static burst, and then they send their own static burst on to a neuron downstream of them. So any neurons they're connected with will then fire off sequentially. One neuron can connect to many others, or just one. Similarly, a neuron that has its little charge built up and is waiting for a signal could be triggered by one neuron behind it or up to hundreds or thousands of them. So the static burst of one neuron could be magnified to spread a signal to many downstream, or perhaps bursts from a bunch of different neurons may lead to just one specific neuron getting the signal to let off its own burst. If you put a tiny magical little electrical sensor, like the one you can use to check a battery, on the two ends of a neuron, you would detect every time it bursts and then shuffles its feet again to build up its charge. Instead of that, we can rely on the fact that these static bursts are detectable a little ways away when enough of them happen at once. So if a whole cluster of neurons shuffle their feet and discharge at the same time, that signal is detected even through the skull, and that's the basis of the EEG. So the EEG is done by placing a grid of electrical sensors on the patient's skull, well, on their scalp, over their skull. Where do they put them? Um, There's an international standard system for placing the electrodes, aka each little sensor, and it's called the International 1020 system. The technician takes measurements from the top of the nose to the bump at the back of the skull lengthwise, and also from the little flap in front of the left ear and the one in front of the right ear, and then places electrodes in a fixed pattern using percentages along those different lines, 10 to 20% apart for each electrode. Um, This is nice because even as someone grows, their head size may change, but the electrodes are still going to be relatively in the same position, and they're also going to be relatively in the same position between different patients. So all in all, there will be 21 electrodes placed. Sometimes it looks like kind of like a skull cap 
mesh hat. Um, and I think usually there needs to be a gel in between the skin and the little electrode to help conduct any traces of electricity up into the wires of the electrode. I also wanted to mention that the electrodes themselves are just little discs of metal. Nothing spikes into your skin. They're just held in place with tape. The naming of these things actually tells you where the electrode is. So the names are FP for prefrontal lobe, which is the very front of the front of your brain, F for frontal lobe, P for parietal, O for occipital, and T for temporal. And then they use odd numbers for the electrodes on the left side of the, of the brain or, or over parts of the left side of the brain, and then even numbers for ones over the right side of the brain. And then right down the middle, it's Z. And I have no idea why it's Z. Couldn't it be zero? Uh, that's how it is. Any EEG technician or neurologist could say to their colleague that I see activity in the FP1 to, FP to F7 electrodes. And they would know that this was the frontal lobe and the prefrontal lobe. So that's the front part of the brain. And it's on the middle to the extreme left. Due to the odd numbers, they're going left. One is toward the middle. Seven is more toward the outside. Uh, EEGs are used to learn about and characterize seizure disorders and for sleep studies. In any alive person, there will always be millions of neurons shuffling and bursting. Uh, that shuffling metaphorically, I mean building up a static charge and discharging that along their length. And by charting out the different parts of the brain, there's patterns that emerge. So, for example, when there are a lot of slow synchronized bursts, that indicates a sleeping state. But a more fast-paced hum of activity is indicative of a wakeful alert state. Different looking traces of the burst can diagnose different types of seizures. For example, an absence seizure, which is uh, used to be called a petite mal seizure, is common in pediatric patients and causes a few seconds of like a blank stare and then the child will resume their normal behaviors without realizing that they had kind of gone away for a moment. Um, these are really clear to observe on an EEG. It'll look like it's called a spike and wave where you'll have a big spike then sort of a building and receding of a burst. It's called a wave and it happens three times every second for about five to ten seconds. Uh, what's with all the French? The petite mal means little bad and Absence is French, I think, just for absence, which is supposed to describe that sort of absence of um, behavior for those five to 10 seconds of that small seizure. One other important thing to think about with EEGs is that for the most part, they are only a record of what's happening at the time that the procedure is done. So in order to see abnormal activity, sometimes EEGs have to be in place for half an hour, hour, day, uh, overnight to really catch some of the signals that the, the physicians are looking for. That's also why in sleep studies, patients actually are brought in to a clinic that's kind of like a hotel room and they'll wear the EEG apparatus for the entire night and monitor their breathing, blood oxygen level, and EEG, and also track movements of the body on camera the whole night long. One other aspect is that these electrodes are very sensitive to electrical signals. So these are monitoring millivolts electrical signal happening about a half an inch away from the electrode through the skull. So you can imagine that any sort of electrical signal from a cell phone nearby would be picked up by this device. That's all I've got about EEGs, but if you have any questions, please feel free to email me. 
One of the things that are um, different about brain tumors than any other tumors in the body is that most brain tumors are actually metastatic tumors from other parts of the body. So if you're a betting person and you see a tumor in the brain, the best bet is that it's actually a lung cancer that has metastasized to the brain. Because of that, it's a little bit different for brain tumors to determine how advanced they are. Normally with, let's say, a liver cancer, the advancement level is is done by staging, which is how far the tumor has spread. Has it spread to lymph nodes nearby? Has it spread to lymph nodes far away? Has it spread to other tissues? But since brain tumors usually already have spread from another part of the body to get there, they, for the most part, are actually observed microscopically after a tumor has been removed from the brain. So they're examined under a microscope. Anytime you have a surgical removal of a tumor, that tumor is examined under a microscope by a pathologist. But it's especially important in brain tumors because that's the primary way that you, that you can determine how um, advanced that cancer is and the prognosis for how fast it's going to get bigger um, and then cause dysfunction and possibly death for the patient. Uh, we learned most of this from a great lecture from a neurosurgeon that came in. It was really amazing to hear this surgeon talk. They had just come off of a called night and they were describing uh, different surgeries that they had undertaken even in the last day, in the last couple days and week. So um, traumatic brain injuries that needed emergency surgeries and also planned surgeries to um, resect to get rid of tumors. So I actually did meet a brain surgeon this week. I met some members of a group that are starting a street medicine clinic in Kalamazoo. They want to bring medical services to people who don't have stable living situations. We have thousands of people in Kalamazoo who live in tents, emergency shelters, cars parked uh, somewhere in town, or people that are co-housing with relatives or friends, but you know have a really unstable situation because that, that situation could change at any time. So the idea is to provide medical care and support to homeless residents of Kalamazoo. People in this community tend to not have a primary care doctor and are more likely to go to the emergency department for their, um, any of their medical needs. So people are not seeing a doctor until they have an actual outright emergency. So that's terrible for your health. And there's a lot of room for prevention and also treatment of, of diseases and infections before they become emergencies. So the main activities of the street medicine group could be clean needle exchanges for people who are injecting drugs or potentially people who have insulin. It prevents hepatitis B and HIV and also can prevent bacterial infections from reusing needles or having non-sterile injection supplies. Health screenings for blood sugar, STDs, and high blood pressure. Also a big one is training of opioid overdose safety, including how to administer naloxone to someone who's overdosed. Naloxone is that kind of amazing drug. Uh, it's a mist. It, it can be administered other ways too, but it's, it's a mist that you spray up the nose and it basically clears every bit of opioids out of the brain and replaces it with naloxone, which 
does not suppress your respiratory drive. A little mist of naloxone under bo- up both nostrils, and that can rescue someone at least long enough to get them to the hospital. They'll like wake right back up and start breathing. It's amazing. And it's really safe too, because if you don't have opioids in your system, it doesn't really do that much else to you. So there aren't big contraindications to using it. So if there's a suspicion that someone is ODing on opioids, try some naloxone, see if they start breathing, and then take them to the hospital. Wound care is the other big one. Um, Just the other day, I went to a health screening event. It was at a homeless shelter in town. Someone arrived with a large sore on their hand, which was infected. They had fallen, gotten a cut, and because of the infection, it was not going to get better on its own. It had um, gone too deep to get better with topical antibiotics, so they needed oral antibiotics. Until that person gets seen by an actual physician in a clinic setting, they won't get better. The, The wound will just get worse. So being on the leadership team would include helping to champion different services and find physician, faculty, and residents who can supervise and teach medical students. And the goal is to have one resident or uh, attending physician for each one or two medical students. And then we also will have to raise money for lots of supplies for the clinic services. So I'll let you know how my conversation goes with the upper year med students that are currently running the group. And hopefully I can find time to join this team and hopefully they want me on the team. All right, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, We talked about EEGs, electroencephalograms, and what they measure and some of the reasons that we might use an EEG for someone. Uh, Talked a little bit about brain tumors and why they're different than tumors that arise in other parts of the body. And I mentioned a new group, Street Medicine in Kalamazoo, that I'm hoping to be a part of. Thanks, everybody, for emailing some questions and comments about the podcast. I really appreciate your feedback. My email address is ben at bensweek.com. Thank you to David Funkhauser for the intro and outro music. Have a great week.